0: This morning we will continue um, in our um, series on the Word of God. Last week we talked about the authority of Scripture. This week we'll talk about the reliability of Scripture. And I'll go ahead and preface by saying a lot of this sermon uh, comes from a guy named Tim Keller. Um, I hijacked a lot of his material, um, although there's nothing new under the sun. He did too. Um, But great Bible teacher. Um, I learned a lot from him. So I want to give credit where credit is due. Um, I want to mention again, just fellowship tonight at the park at 6 o'clock. If you've come in a little late, that's cool. But tonight at 6 o'clock, please come to Brookwood Park over here in Landrum for the fellowship. It's going to be really fun, really laid back. We'll hang out. We'll have a good time. We'll throw some cornhole, throw some football, let the kids play on the playground. Um, It's going to be a lot of fun. And that's really, really important, okay, that we have fun together and we grow in our relationships. That's what this whole thing is about is relationships. So if you can please make that, please do. Um, and another thing I want to mention before we get started is Mission Saturdays. We have what's called Mission Saturdays, and we try to pour back into our community or um, surrounding communities and help in different projects in different areas. Some days we'll have a, a fun day where we'll go to, say, Bon Air Apartments or Spruce Pine or wherever, and we'll pull out junk castles and just love on people, give them free ICs, whatever, just, just to share what God has done uh, for us and free um, stuff and love and and also we will talk to them about Jesus if the, if the opportunity presents itself. We want to build those relationships, build the trust so that we can then um, help them to see the truth of God's word, the truth of who Jesus Christ is. So um, it, it, we don't ask you to do more than one Saturday a month. We do two Saturdays a month, um, but if we can have each person do one Saturday a month, then we'll be packed out. And we'll have to start another group, uh, but uh, one Saturday a month, I don't think it's too much to ask. Let's show the love of Jesus To our community. As we continue in our series, what I want to do today is I want to to give you some some ways, some evidences, some reasons that that you can hold on to, that you can have of why your Bible is trustworthy. Some evidences that show the reliability of Scripture and how we can hold on to it, some answers that we can give to those who want to talk to us about why do you believe that book? And what a lot of people would say, a lot of religious leaders would say is that you don't need any reasons, it's just faith. You just believe. And I do believe that um, in order to truly grasp the scriptures, you must have faith and accept them as being God's word and, and welcome them in. But at the same time, I believed in a reasoned faith. I really do. I believe that we should be able to give an answer for the faith that we have in us, for the hope that we have in that scripture. I believe that we should be able to explain how Jesus is the Savior of the world. I believe we ought to be able to explain uh, how it is that God overwhelmed our sin through Jesus Christ. Why do you trust the scriptures? Is it, is it an unreasoned faith? You say, well, don't ask me about that. I just believe it, and that's enough said. Don't ask me about that anymore. But I would even go so far as to question, if you don't know what you believe in, do you really believe in anything? That's for, that's for you, personal, no extra charge. Um, we need to know what we believe in so that we can believe, okay? And so that's what I want to do today. I want to walk you through some text in the Bible, and then I want to draw out some some really some some implications that are held in the scriptures, and then in the end we'll look at Jesus Christ. We we'll always want to bring it back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before I get started, let me pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come and open our blind eyes to the truth. Because without that, and that is the faith, without the faith, without the enlightenment without the opening of your eyes then you can know all you want to know about the scriptures but until you see that they're about jesus until they're written on your heart you know that said that that we are to write god's word on our heart well we are to memorize we're to study but god will write his word on your heart that's the work of god and he will do that through the power of the holy spirit so let's ask god that he would come and and break down walls open blind eyes so that we might even see and maybe even someone today would see for the very first time and as ezekiel was called out to prophesy to the the wind prophesied to the breath prophesied to the spirit maybe someone in here for the first time would come to life through the word of god that's what we're after right we're after life don't you want to live say amen if you want to live amen let's pray jesus uh, it's all about you god uh, help me to get out of the way help um help me to uh, be wise in what i say and um Bring conviction to which direction you would have me to go. Uh, There's so many things that we could talk about. God, I pray that you would um, harden um, Satan, that you would bind him, that you would put him to the side. God, that you would come and that you would enlighten our minds, open our eyes, break down, and soften our hard hearts so that we might be able to see you and that we might be able to have your word come in, even in a new way, even if we've accepted you, even if we have known you, that you would come and teach us new truths. Your mercies are new every day. And so, God, I pray that we would see something for the first time today, that we would come a step farther today because I know it doesn't matter where we are in our walk, that we could all take a step. And so, God, that's what I pray. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and that he would push us in your direction, that he would steer our path, that he would light it, that we would know where we're going, that we would hear your word, it would sit in our heart, that you would write a little bit more today or that you would write for the first time. God, reach in, take out the dead, cold heart and replace it with a revived, beating, live heart, which is made alive by your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Luke, the book of Luke. We will be in Luke today. We'll be in two places in Luke, actually. We'll be in Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 1 and 2, oh, I'm sorry, 1 through 4, and then we will flip over and we'll be in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Uh, today's sermon will be a, l- a little bit different than what you're used to. I won't walk quite as um, exact through the scriptures as I normally do, but what I want to do today is show you these reasons, and so I'll have to move around a little bit more than I do normally, um, but we want to show you this spectrum of evidences, and let me say this, is that there are so many evidences to the truth of God's word and the, to the factual nature of God's word, there's no way that I could cover them all. These are just a few of the big ones, a few reasons that you can trust God's word, that it's accurate. Um, Just know, and the video kind of hinted at this, the Bible is made up of 66 books written uh, by over 40 different authors. There's over 30,000 verses in the Scripture, and it's written over thousands of years. And the Scripture is not actually one book, but it's a bunch of books. It's actually a library of sacred writings written by those who God has led to pen this book. So it was each individual person with their own personalities coming out, guided by the power of the Holy Spirit to write these things. And one evidence, and this isn't in actually the notes, one evidence that I actually personally appreciate a lot is the fact that 66 books, over 40 different authors, thousands of years, and no contradictions. That can't be done by man. It can't be done by man. And so as we, I just want you to think about that. There's no way that all of these different people writing all of these different works, putting them all together over all of these thousands of years apart, they would be able to keep such a concise, thematic, perfect story all the way through. And we'll get into what the Bible is all about because that's huge in how you understand and how you can trust the Bible as well. So we'll hit that at the end. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. the most in the new testament and what we have here is him saying that i i I care about these things i care whether or not what i'm learning and what i'm teaching and what i'm proclaiming what i'm living are they the truth or are they some type of mythological thing that i'm just going to set myself apart to You see, you should care about that too. Christians, for the longest time, have said, I'm going to believe the Bible. I'm going to believe that it's inerrant, it's infallible, it's perfect in every way. And I'm going to live and and rearrange my whole entire life surrounding this one book. But they don't know really why they're doing that. They have no real reasons why to trust the scriptures. And so what Luke says here, and I know it's a mixture of faith faith. And reasoning, we've got to have both or you can't understand fully the scriptures at all. But what Luke is, Luke was, he was a doctor. He was, he was a historian. He was scared. He was a smart guy. And so Theophilus was wanting to look into this thing. And what he was wanting to do is he said, am I wasting my time here? or Or is this factual stuff? Is this for real? Or am I wasting my time? Do you care whether or not the direction you're going is real or are you wasting your time? And I've met people who don't care. I've met people who have been of the faith you know, in church for 50 years, and they get mad when you try to give evidences to the reliability of Scripture because they say, you just trust. And I believe that we do trust. I believe that we do have faith, but I also believe there are good reasons. As a matter of fact, I love philosophy. I love theolo- um, logical thinking and, and processing and things like that. Now, let me tell you this. There's no way that I can sit up here and give you explanation after explanation and evidence enough to, so that the, the scripture would take root in you and you would believe it to the extent that it brought life. Okay, It's not a head thing, it's a heart thing. But at the same time, I really do believe with all of my heart that Christianity is not only something that you better believe, but it is the best answer for all of life's problems. It is the best worldview that you could possibly come up with. Now, there are all kinds of questions in the world, right? But I believe that Christianity answers best the problem of evil, morality, love, emotions. I believe that it is the best worldview that we can possibly have. What we want to look at today is why should we move that direction? What are some evidences? And what I want to do is pull out here three things. We're going to go three ways that you can trust the Scriptures. We're going to do historical, we're going to do cultural, and we're going to do personal okay historical historically why can you trust the bible okay culturally how can you trust the bible and then personally why should you trust the bible so historically i got three under here that will help you to understand okay man the bible is for real and you know what i hope after today even some of you who have trusted the bible for a long time you would leave here today saying man i didn't know that i believed that right right I didn't know that there was so much evidence for what I was claiming to believe. So, the first under the historical. The bottom line is, is that all the accounts written in the New Testament, they are too early to be fables. They are too early to be legends. You say, what are you talking about? You see, a lot of people want to contend that these scriptures were written to push some type of agenda by the government. These scriptures were written by people in order to accomplish a purpose of controlling the population, in order to control the, uh, to, and to control the people. They were put out by a government or they were put out by some individual that wanted to bring about a set of rules that would do a certain thing or they wanted to be pushed by this sect of this religious people who wanted to push their ideas, their religion, their faith out into the world, and that was what happened, that they made all these things up in order to promote their own religion. Okay? And they would say that you, if you believe in Jesus Christ, are a product of a lie that started in the beginning, and they made up all of these things in order to see to their own agenda. Does that make sense? So... What we answer that with is that it couldn't have been that way because the scriptures are written too early. Listen to what he says here. He says, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So what Luke does is, and Paul does the same thing, what they do is is they go out and they, they actually do reports they do interviews. So you saw this. So you saw this. Are you, are you sure this is what you saw? He says an orderly account. So he went out and he did interviews. He sat down with people. So how many days was it after uh, Jesus Christ died on the cross that you saw him again? Oh, okay, I see. He said, well, "What has that got to do with being too early?" Think about this: Is that if it was if something happened here today? Okay, if something happened here today, God moved in a miraculous way, and somebody wanted to create a legend out of it. You know, maybe something happened here, and somebody wanted to create a legend out of it. Maybe they wanted to say that, that Brandon jumped up and flew around by the power of the Holy Spirit and he came back and landed. Okay? See, that would be a legend. That would be something crazy that happened. Could they go out of here tomorrow and write that down and say, this is what happened, all these people were here. It couldn't have happened that way. Now, a hundred years from now, if somebody wanted to go back and say, man, that day it was crazy. It, there was no strings attached. and he was right. You see, it was too early because these people were still alive. It was too early because these people were still alive. As Luke is writing his gospel, as Luke is writing these things, it would have been very easy for those who were reading these things to go back and ask those people. It was too early for this to be created as a legend. And he was doing these interviews right after these things happened. This was written while people were still alive that were there. It would have been easy, and we have no record of this at all. There's no contention in this. It would have been easy if it wasn't so early to do this because they could have just made anything up. But it was written too close to the death of Christ and his resurrection to go back and write these things and make legends out of them because people would not have accepted it. They would have said, this can't be right. It can't be right. They would have proved it wrong. Secondly, it's too counterproductive. This is one to me that is very, very convincing. Because if you know anything about the scriptures, if you go through and you read the scriptures at all, what is continually happening? If you'll go back and read the first, in, uh, actually in Luke chapter 24, you don't have to turn there. But let me ask you a question. Who was the first ones that made it to the tomb to see that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead that talked to the angels? Does anybody remember? It was the women, Mary and, and her friends. Well, did you know in that day that women, their testimony wasn't even accepted in court because they were on the lowest rung of social standing? It wasn't accepted. So you see, it was way too counterproductive. If you're going to make a legend, if you're going to try to promote your self-religion, if you're going to to try to promote your agenda, you wouldn't have written down and made up the fact that it was the women that made it to the tomb that day. You wouldn't have made that up. It wouldn't have made any sense. It wouldn't have carried any weight. The only explanation is, is that it actually happened. Because the women's testimony would have been void. It wouldn't even have mattered. So why in the world would you have written down that it was the women there if you were making it up? Heck, if you're going to make it up, say it was Pilate that made it. Oh, and he was changed then. He hit the ground. You see, there's no explanation. This is an evidence of the the truth and the reliability of Scripture because there's no explanation other than that it was written truth. This was the truth of God. It was too counterproductive. And beyond that, I mean, how many times are the apostles, the disciples of Jesus Christ, who would have been the ones who were pushing their agenda, how many times did they just look like idiots? You know? How many times did they look like idiots? You remember Peter? You remember Peter? He said, I'll go and I'll die for you, Jesus. I will fight to the death. And then what happened? He, Jesus said, "Nah." You're going to actually deny me three times before the rooster crows. You're going, to, you're going to punk out like a little girl, you know. And he did. What happened? He's there in the courtyard, and, and uh, they've they're got Jesus over there, and they're asking him all these questions, and, and he followed like a coward from behind, and he's watching. He's warming his hands by the fire with a couple of other little girls. And he looks over, and Jesus is there being questioned, and, and uh, this little girl... This little girl, and that's what it says, a little servant girl, okay? Now, we're not only talking about women, we're talking about a servant girl who would have been at the absolute bottom of everything, looks at Peter and says, hey, aren't you one of the guys that was with him? And like the biggest coward in the world, he says, no, no, it wasn't me, hush. And then all of a sudden, the rooster crows, and it says Jesus turned and looked at him, and Peter was crushed. You see, Peter was the, Jesus said, you know, that talking about Peter and the church and, and the word that had come down, he said, uh, this church right here, this is, this is the rock. This is, I'm the gates of hell will not prevail against this thing. This thing is moving. As my spirit comes down and fills these people, they're moving. And the gates of hell will not prevail. And we're going to charge. We're going to make a difference. We're going to save the world. And he talks about Peter who got punked by a little girl. You see, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up. It's too counterproductive. If you're going to make something up, then make Peter like Superman and his cape's flapping in the wind. You know? Why make him bowing out to a little girl? It's too counterproductive. You wouldn't have made anything like that up. The only explanation is, is that it really did happen. And the last one kind of ties all these together is that the fact of the matter is it's too detailed. It's too detailed. You see, in our day and age, we kind of have this thing called realistic uh, fiction. Realistic fiction. And, and, and it's kind of like if you see the TV shows on, on television right now, of the crime scene dramas, or any, any show right now, actually, what they do is they write those things to be like real life. Does that make sense? A realistic fiction that, that you write it like you were actually doing it, okay? The problem with that is, is that most people will project that onto the Scriptures And what they'll say is is that these things are made up, and somebody just wrote those in such a way that they wanted to make it seem like real life, but it really wasn't. The problem with that is that this type of writing wasn't even invented until the 18th century, maybe 17th century, but it wasn't even invented until hundreds and hundreds of years after Jesus. Go back and read any legend, any legend that you want to. Go back and read the the Greek mythologies or Beowulf or whatever, you go back and read any legend that you want, it's nothing like this whatsoever. This book, these writings are by themselves except for other historical narratives. Do you get what I'm saying? When you go back and you look and and Luke Luke says this, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me, also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. You see, there's either there's only one of two explanations for this kind of writing: either whoever come up with this did not have any contemporaries; no one else at the time of this writing ever did it like him, and never did it like him again, and never had done it before him until hundreds of years later. Or this is actual historical narrative that we can trust. Does that make sense? They didn't make legends like this. They didn't make up stories that look like this. Either it's all by itself, which would be a miracle too, or it's true. Does that make sense? It's way too detailed to be a legend. It couldn't be a legend because if it was a legend, they wouldn't have used women. It would be way too counterproductive. They would have made the leaders of the church like crazy giants that were amazing, just like the Greek gods did. If you're doing a legend, why not do a legend? You know, why have your God dying on a cross in humility? That doesn't make any sense. So they wouldn't have had that. It was way too counterproductive. It's way too detailed. That type of writing didn't even exist until hundreds of years later. It just doesn't make any sense. It was too early. People would have shot it down if there really wasn't eyewitnesses. So you can trust the scriptures historically. You can trust them historically. You really can. You can read them and believe that these are actual, realistic, historical accounts of what really actually happened. Those are three good reasons. There are more. Secondly, let's move over to Luke chapter 24. I want to read this scripture for you. Secondly, we want to look at culturally, can we trust them? What are some cultural reasons that we can trust them? So we've looked historically, they were too early, too detailed, and too counterproductive. There's no explanation for the scriptures unless they were real writings, okay? Unless they were real, accurate, historical documents. But secondly, we want to look at the cultural aspect of it, because now we need to ask the question, okay, they were written for real. But now we need to ask, it, ask the question, do they apply to me? Do they reach across the span of time to to actually be trustworthy to me in my day and age, in my culture, in the place that I am? Can I trust these scriptures? So let's read here as Jesus Christ encounters the guys on the road to Emmaus. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were, walk, they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Talking about Jesus, the death, the resurrection. While they, were ta- while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? Now, let me tell you something right now. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And I'm, and I'm, I'm saying that not just because he saved my life. Because he's, he's a really cool guy. I mean, he really is. He's like, he's, he's like you. He really is. Like, he's, he's got a sense of humor. I want you to picture this, okay? These, this thing has happened. Jesus has died. They're not understanding it because all they can see is what they thought was to be true, and that was that Jesus Christ would come and triumph. Like any of you would think to write a legend, right? He was going to come and triumph and take over the Roman government and, and, and set up Israel as its own Palace and, and and country and it was going to be great and all of a sudden he had died so they're walking along they're going man what's all this and so all of a sudden Jesus like a ninja he's like and he's walking beside him I mean really that's awesome and Jesus is like what you guys talking about I mean that's the that's awesome he would ninjaed up beside him and he's like what are you guys talking about. And he starts having this conversation with them about what's going on, what had been going on. And he just overwhelms the conversation. Let's continue to read. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Do you not get the irony in that? Is that not humorous? Is that he's looking at Jesus talking about, are you the only one that's that stupid? <laughs> if I was Jesus who had just ninja up beside him, I'd have said, Cha! <laughs> right in the throat, throat shot. I'm not even kidding. Boom. He'd be like, you no, know I know. <laughs> the karate chop sandwich is what I'd have gave him. So he says, are you the only visitor to, to Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, this is jesus what things i mean come on that's great he's awesome he's the same one that just hammers the pharisees all the time if you want to make fun of religious people i'm not telling you to but just read the bible i'm just saying i'm just okay to edit that but i'm just saying all right we keep going he says what things And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. You see? Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen an angel. They had seen vision, a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see any angels. And he said to them, this is what Jesus says after he got through what I think was just messing with them. I mean, what, how else could you possibly explain that? I mean, he like sneaks up on them. He's asking them crazy questions. And he's like, you big dummies. Listen to what he says. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the the things concerning himself. The things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is not far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Listen to this part, okay? I wish I had more time to do a bunch more on this text, but I want you to just let the Holy Spirit lead you here. Listen to when their eyes were opened, okay? Listen to this. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Now, this is not a point in my sermon, but I need for you, I want to stop right here for just one second. The fellowship of his believers, and the breaking of bread, and the hanging out, and the talking, and the laughing. How many times does Jesus say, I want to eat with you, I want to eat with you, I want to eat with you. Uh, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man would come and and, and answer, I would come in and eat with him, and he with me. You see, we can do this all day long, where I give you evidences, philosophical reasoning, and logical evidences of why the scriptures are trustworthy, But until you see Jesus Christ and you have fellowship with him and you sit down and give him a chance to show you that the scriptures are real, it's no good. And until you come and hang out with us, whether it be here in the mornings as we set up, you say, This is good. This is air war. I can give you good stuff out of the scriptures. I'll try my best to. But until we hang out, until you hang out together, this is just lessons right now. We need that fellowship. We need the fellowship. Let's start the at the park, shameless plug. All right, so their eyes were open. then. He took the bread and blessed and broke. I'm not trying to get anything from you. I, you know, we're, 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 we'll have the hot dogs there, no charge. I just love you. I want to hang out with you. Come on, hang with me, please. Okay, I need friends. All right, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him when they were breaking the bread, and he vanished from their sight. They said, I mean, why do you have to do that? I love Jesus, I'm telling you. He's awesome. If I could vanish, I would. I'd be like, pfft. He'd be like, oh, my God. And then I'd come back, pfft. Did you like that? That's what Jesus, I mean, you know, why do you have to vanish? He could have just walked out. But anyway, he vanished. Anyway, I got off there. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn? Listen to this. This is good. This is one of our points. They said to each other, after he vanished, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn? Okay, now they broke the bread. They broke the bread. And, and their eyes were opened as they fellowship with Jesus Christ. But I want you to listen. This goes actually back to before when their hearts started burning. They said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. I wish I had a whole lot of time just to expound on the, on the scriptures because those, that is an amazing scripture and we'll, we'll revisit it. But I want to give you a couple of questions that you can ask of, of why you can trust the scriptures culturally. And we'll kind of walk through this a little bit, uh, but I won't be able to touch on a lot. I wish I could. Number two. Culturally. We can, we can trust the scriptures culturally. So we already taught historically. We can trust them because they were too early, they were too detailed, and too counterproductive. If they was going to make something up, they'd have made something else up. It wouldn't have been like this. But number two, why can you trust it culturally? Let me just ask three questions here to help get you to thinking in this direction. Have you considered that they may not, that you may not understand because scripture may not be teaching what you think? You see, we come to the Scriptures and we say, I just can't believe that because of this. Well, let me ask you one thing. Have you ever considered that you can't understand them because the Scriptures are not teaching what you think they may be teaching? The first one up here. Have you considered that? Have you considered that you're just not understanding them right? You see, we get to a certain text in the scripture, and it's like, oh my goodness, there's no way that I could accept that. Okay, there's no way that I could accept that because this teaching is crazy. For example, just give you a couple of examples. um, How about polygamy in the Old Testament? Have you ever gotten to those and said, I guess, I don't know. (laughs) You know, you you ever looked at that? Jacob, all of them had more than one wife. You say, how in the world can the scriptures... I cannot accept the Bible as being true and the truth of God because I can't accept these truths. How can the Bible be talking about polygamy? How can it condone that? And uh, I don't know if you know what primogeniture is, but primogeniture is when the oldest kid gets everything to the neglect of everybody else. And so in the Old Testament, whatever son was born first, everything went to him. Everything went to him. And so we look at those scriptures, we look at those passages and we read and we say, I cannot accept that. But I'd like for you to consider that the scriptures may not be teaching what you think that they're teaching. Maybe they're teaching something else. As a matter of fact, we have a bucket group that meets at my house. And we have a a method that we go about doing our bucket groups. And we usually tell um, uh, stories from the scripture and we walk through them. But I've been absolutely amazed at the hunger and the desire of the people who are at my house. They want to know the scriptures. And we can't even get through a story because they want to know about all of these things. You know, how the law uh, relates to the New Testament and how, you know, what's the deal with baptism? What's the deal with with free will and salvation and grace and, and all these things? What's the deal with that stuff? And what we found is is that most people have huge misunderstandings in many, many, many different places. Have you considered that you've never really been taught accurately what the scriptures are teaching? And you may have never even heard a teaching on that. You may have never even looked into that at all. And so you don't really have anything to base it off of, but you just grab a hold of what it says, what you think it says, and you're like, nah, uh uh-uh. But let's look at those two examples, and we need to move on. Let's look at those two examples, polygamy and and primogeniture, or the, the oldest son getting everything. In every case that you see, we have to look back at it and say, does the Bible really teach polygamy? Does the Bible really teach that a man should have more than one wife? Or does it teach that we should have one wife, the husband of but one wife? What is the deal with that? It seems like there's a little bit of a contradiction there. But if you'll go back and you'll look at all the examples in the Old Testament of all the polygamy, it was always detrimental. It was always destructive of that family. It always tore everything apart. It led them away from God. And what the Scripture is absolutely doing, it is turning it upside down and it shows in every place that polygamy is a terrible idea and it actually discards the whole thing. It actually is teaching opposite of what polygamy is. It is teaching in every place that polygamy is absolutely destructive to the relationship. It is destructive to the culture. It is destructive to the appetite that God has for you and that you can have for God. And it turns it on its head in every situation. So what we have is the, if you get into it and if you have enough trust of the Scriptures and diligence and desire to get into the Scriptures and hear good teaching and hear good expounding of the Scriptures, then you can understand that it may not be teaching what you think it's teaching. It may be teaching what you felt to be true to begin with. Consider it may not be teaching what you think it's teaching. Number two, have you considered that you may be misunderstanding because of your own cultural blinders? Have you considered that you cannot accept the Scriptures because of your own cultural blinders? And the example here is slavery. The example here is slavery. See, many people get to the text when Paul actually, I don't know if you've ever, I mean, do you guys not have these questions? When I was reading the text, I had these questions. I was going through the, 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 the um, Scriptures, and I get to places where Paul says, Slaves, obey your masters. Ephesians chapter 6. Slaves, obey your masters as you would the Lord. The problem is, I have a big problem with that. I have a a huge problem with that. So all of a sudden, I'm like, God, what in the world? This is culturally regressive. This is going backwards. I can't believe that it would teach slavery. How could you accept the scriptures if you think they teach slavery? But the problem is, is that I am actually blinded by my own cultural understanding of what slavery is, and you may be the same way. And it's like that across the board. In a lot of different places in Scripture, you may be blinded by your own cultural understanding, uh, and you're projecting meaning onto the text when you need to be getting meaning from the text. And let me explain to you a little bit about the slavery in the Scripture. Does Paul say, slaves obey your masters? This is yes, this is no. It does say in Ephesians chapter 6... Paul says slaves obey your masters but when we hear that we think of 17th 18th and 19th century slavery which was race-based and for life long and a lot of abuse going on so does the Bible really condone this type of slavery can we trust a Bible that condones this type of slavery and if not we need to look and say what in the world did he mean by slavery if he didn't mean this And so a lot of people just get to text like that and they say, I just can't trust it, stop right there, go no farther. If it teaches that and it's wrong about that, then it can be wrong in a lot of other places and I don't need that. Which if that's what it was teaching, that might be a pretty legitimate argument. But when you really get into the text and you look at Paul's view of slavery, if you go and look at the book of Philemon when he actually speaks to this type of relationship between a slave and his master, you see that this is not what it means, it's not race-based. It wasn't for life. As a matter of fact, in Roman times, in the time of Paul, a slave was not a race based As a matter of fact, there was no distinction between a slave and any other person within society. It wasn't race based It wasn't um, the sex. It wasn't the economic status. It wasn't anything. As a matter of fact, you would be better interpreting that word as indentured servanthood. And so what would happen is is that someone would get in debt so that they could not pay, and instead of taking their life or instead of putting them in prison or anything like that, they would say, okay, you've gotten yourself in debt, so you need to come and work for me until you work that debt off, and then you can be free again. So very, very rarely was anybody a lifelong slave, and hardly ever could you tell a difference between a slave and any other person. And along those lines, we also know that the slaves in those days, the indentured servants, would be paid the same as any other laborer of their same social status. They got paid, they were working their way out, and it was not race-based or cruel at all. And as a matter of fact, in many cases, the slave was more educated than his master and held high managerial positions. It wasn't the same at all. It wasn't the same at all. The text may not be teaching what you think it's teaching because of your own cultural blinders. And then the third under this, and, and this will kind of encompass all of these, is that have you ever considered that you may misunderstand because of the unexamined assumption of your cultural superior, your superiority? Basically this. Have you ever thought that you might be looking at the Scriptures and putting them down because you think that your culture is superior in its way of thinking and its assumptions, and in its dialogue, or its, its, its progress. Meaning this, why do you think that the way that your culture is, and this should attack all of us, this should put all of us in a bind right now, because why do you think that your culture is supreme to every other culture in the world? How can you take your culture and project it on the Bible and say, the Bible is wrong in this place because it doesn't fit within my cultural standard? An example of that is sex versus forgiveness. You see, in our culture, we look at what the Bible teaches on sex and what the Bible teaches on um, how a woman should dress or how people should dress and, 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 and really this, this whole idea of, of modesty, this whole idea of um, sex before marriage, how the Bible teaches that, that sex before marriage or outside the marriage bed is sin. And we look at that and our culture wants to say, that's horrible. That's horrible. You should should be able to to experience and you should be able to live and you should be able to be young and and sleep around and try it out and let's live together for a while and see if I even like you. (laughs) That's terrible. That's terrible. You know, let let me try this product out before I buy it. Our culture looks at that and says, that's crazy teaching. You know, we see sex every day on TV on the cartoons on TV now. It's crazy. And we think that the Bible's crazy. A lot of our culture thinks the Bible's crazy. But when it comes to forgiveness, we look at forgiveness and we say, we're down on guilt. We we can't stand guilt. So we say, oh, forgive your neighbor. Seventy times seven. Yeah, that's a great teaching out of Scripture. You need to be selfish and you need to forgive. Don't hold that against them. We can accept that teaching. That's good for us. Our culture's good with that. Nobody's guilty. Your truth is truth, and my truth is truth, and we can all live happily ever after, and nobody has to be wrong. Wrong. Wrong, you know. If you don't believe that there's one truth, and I'm sorry, you're wrong. Was that too assuming of me? But if you go to the Middle East, okay, you go to another culture, you go to the Middle East, it absolutely flip-flops. It's a shame-based culture, not a guilt-based culture, and it is a very, very modest culture. The sexual teachings in the Scriptures are good, probably not strict enough, but they're good. You know, they, ha- they cover everything. They wear dresses all the way down to their ankles. They have no problem whatsoever with the teach on sex. the teachings on sex. No problem whatsoever. But you get into the forgiveness aspect of it, and that's crazy. You do not just forgive someone. This is a shame-based culture. They brought shame on your family. They must pay. You don't just forgive them. That's crazy. That's nonsense. So you see, have you ever considered, why do you think, why do we think that our culture is is absolutely superior to every other culture? What if you submitted to the scriptures? What if you submitted to the Scripture and you say, God, I'm not holding my culture above you. I'm not holding my understanding above you. I'm not holding my own agenda above you. I'm going to come to the Scriptures without bias. I'm going to come to the Scriptures and without my own projections on the Scriptures. I'm going to come, I'm going to read, and I'm going to bow down to what you say because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you have the assumption of your culture's superiority do you think that America is the end all culture <laughs> really at this point in time hopefully we're seeing that there's no culture that supersedes God and his word so then we move into the last and, and, and my favorite so when we go back to the cultural um, you know bottom line is that the scriptures may not be teaching what you think Two is you may not be able to understand what the scriptures are teaching because of your own cultural blinders and what you think that you know to be true. And then number three, you may have an unexamined assumption that your culture is superior to every other culture's, And so all of these things working together might be why you can't trust the scriptures. It might be why you can't trust the scriptures. But the best, by far, is the last. And let's read, and this will be our last point. We've got a little special for you. Listen to what it says in verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. While he opened to us the scriptures. Well, let's go back when he was on the road and let's see what he did. He said in verse 25, you see, they had their own understanding of what this thing meant. They had their own understanding personal understanding of what the scriptures meant in in this time and that's that's okay it's understandable that they had been they were a jewish people they had been waiting for a long time for a leader to come a king to come to set them free to set up power and dominion on the earth and to overwhelm the roman government and set israel up to hold up israel to set israel free and when jesus came he died on a cross and was buried in the tomb so they're walking down the road with their head hung low and they're saying, what in the world? What in the world? They couldn't understand the Scriptures. They couldn't trust the Scriptures because they were too sold out to their own culture's superiority and to their own understanding of what they thought that they were teaching. But Jesus Christ comes to them and says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. You see, until you see that all the scriptures are talking about Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, these things will never set up in your heart. They will never take root. They will never be planted. And you will always be wondering to the reliability of the scriptures. The scriptures are not teachings that you are meant to look at and follow. They are a person that you are meant to bow down to and fall in love with. It was at this time, you see, in verse 32, it says, Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road, while He opened to us the Scriptures? You see, Jesus Christ is looking to come inside of you and to show you that it's not about rules for you living by. This is the problem with religion and legalistic teachings as opposed to grace-based, Jesus Christ-filled expounding of the Scriptures. You see, I can get up here all day long, and I can tell you all these factual things, and it can be intellectual download. And I can tell you all of these truths and all of these things. And, but if you go out of here and you say, that was a good teaching, let me apply that to my life, it will be a crushing weight on you. So if I go out here and I say, you stop believing wrong and you stop believing right, start believing right. You stop doing this and you start doing that. You stop doing this and you start doing that. What I have done is I have set you up as your God so that you can now have a road map to your life. And this Bible is all about you. And you just read in here and you get some good rules and you live your life the way you should live them. And then everything is good in the end. But the problem is is that there's none good, no, not one. And we read the scriptures, and they are crushing weight that smashes us to the ground unless we see Jesus Christ. You see, in the Old Testament, we have Moses, we have David, we have all of these people. And all of these lessons are taught continually. And if you're looking at them like these guys were looking at them, what you're looking at is you're saying, well, David went out, he had faith in God, he didn't even wear armor. He didn't even wear armor. He just went out, and he, he was a little scrawny guy. And he got his stone out of the river, five of them. But he only needed one because he trusted God. And he got his sling and he threw it and and slay the beast, slay the giant. If you look at that story and you think that it's about you, you think that it's about this teaching, you think that God is telling you, well, you man up, son. You need to have enough faith. You need to, to get in there and grit and bear it. You need to make sure that you're in the right place at the right time. When you fall, you get back up again. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Dust off and get back in the game, son. But we continually fall and we fall and we fall and we fall and we fall. And eventually we come to the realization that I can't do this. I cannot live up to these things. And the Bible becomes a crushing weight on us. Or we get to maybe even a worse spot. And we see the scriptures as rules by which we live and we feel like we're doing it. And so we say, look at me. I got my suit on, baby. And it's not all about suits. They might say, look at me. I got a hole in my jeans. I'm living right. I, I gave this week. I got it going on. Pride and arrogance, and we're not living according to the scriptures. But, but if today, but if today, I come to you and I say, "This Bible is not about you. The story of David is not about you. Haven't you faced enough giants, my friend?" Terry is here somewhere. Haven't you? She's faced a giant. And Wesley's faced giants. Emmanuel's faced giants, and I know Tim's faced giants, and I faced giants. And if I throw this word on you and I say, "Man up, boy! You have enough faith." Man up, boy! You have enough faith. It's crushing. But if I look at you and I say, "Jesus is the greater David. Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus is the greater Joseph. Jesus is the greater." Emmanuel, he is Emmanuel. God, come down with us. Jesus is the greater Noah. Jesus is the one who went before death, this giant. And he defeated the giant in crushing blows. Because you are the little people in the army that was too afraid to go out and fight. Oh, we always want to be the guy on the battlefield, but you really don't. You're not that bad. You're the little soldier whose armor was rattling because he was too scared Jesus is David who went on the battlefield of eternity and he took the beast and he slayed the beast and he cut the beast's head off with his own sword so that the army that was behind him could get the glory and they didn't have to fight Jesus was the greater Isaac who was led up on the mountain by his father But unlike Abraham, who raised the knife and was stopped because there was another sacrifice, he was the sacrifice, and his father dropped the knife so that you would not have the knife dropped on you. You see, up to this point, I've been giving you information that's good information, but it's information. At this point, I show you a man who was God who came to die in your place because you couldn't do what you needed to do. He did it for you. As this word goes out, it makes changes. It creates life. If it's a rule by bu- a rule book by which you live, it's death and a crushing weight. If it is a directive to show you where Jesus is, who Jesus is, and how to know Him and how to love Him, then it's life. As we all stand to our feet, in just a minute, I'm going to invite my buddy Kevin up. <laughs> And I want to explain this to you because we're going to have a little bit different invitation today because I felt compelled to talk to Kevin Stokes, as a friend of mine. You guys continue to play. Oh, Kevin Stokes is a friend of mine. Uh, met him through this whole church planting experience. And Kevin doesn't just believe the Word. Kevin lives the Word. I hope that you do the same. I hope that you live the Word. He is the Word. Kevin is actually going to Nigeria in like three six weeks he's going to Nigeria in six weeks so that he can take the word of God that is Jesus Christ to a nation that really needs he's going to train pastors and he'll explain that to you I want to give him an opportunity he's going to come and just speak briefly uh, about what he's doing because the bottom line is is that if these scriptures are rules by which you live it's 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 rough but if you see Jesus in here your heart starts to burn inside of you and you are changed forever from the inside out. How many people come to me and say, how did you do it, how did you do it, how did you do it? Jesus did it. Jesus did it. And if you will only turn your life over to the man that this book is about, then, then and only then will you be set free to live your life in everything that you cannot even imagine in the utmost power sharing in the glory of Jesus Christ because you shared in his sufferings as well. Come to Jesus today. We are getting the word out there, and what I'm going to ask for you to do, please, is to get the word out there. The word of God creates life. I cannot do this on my own. These these guys can't do this on their own. I'm glad you're here. Go, therefore, and tell everyone that you know about Jesus Christ, creating disciples. Go and create disciples. If we all talk about Jesus together and we all share Jesus together and we all invite people to come see Jesus together, we'll fill this place up in a heartbeat. Don't go put rules on people. Go show people Jesus. Kevin's going to come now. Come on up. We're going to show this video too for just one second about Nigeria. Je- um, Kevin is going to share a little bit of what he's doing, and you'll have an opportunity after um, the service. He'll ha- he's got a table out there. He's going to Nigeria without a whole lot of support. He's got support coming from several different places but um, uh, the well has actually uh, stepped in we love Kevin, Uh, we've seen his heart and uh, he loves Jesus and he's taking the word of God to Nigeria and uh, he's going to tell you about what we do. But we partnered with with Kevin as well and we're doing monthly gifts to Kevin to try to help a little bit, Um, so if you would like to do that, if you would like to reach beyond your community, uh, no obligations. he'll have a table out there if you want to just know more or even partner with him just through prayer um, you can do that, but as we, as we listen today, um, you figure out what God wants you to do. And uh, listen to what Kevin has to say. He loves Jesus, and uh, he's taken the